And Grace is like, you would deny Christ? She's like, straight up. 100% would. October. Yes, we are haunted. That's good. Not cheesy at all. Uh, (laughs) Doing it this whole time. And uh, we are the media literacy show from A Horror Lens, where we explore the real life, historical, psychological reasonings behind our cinematic fears. And that is the most appropriate description for this episode because we're talking about haunted people yeah and how that a lot of times is just because grief and loss is really hard and your brain like isn't programmed to deal with that if anything it's programmed for you to see ghosts so that's true that is true and it's just a lot like grief and isolation. Like there's just certain conditions that when the human brain is put under that stress, we, you know, infer, we make things up, we create things where there is nothing. And we also seek comfort usually in the form of the spiritual, you know, things yeah. like that. Um, we've done haunted people in the past but that was specifically exorcisms so people who were haunted by very specific force and this time we're doing things a little different so it'll be people who are experiencing haunting of some sort yeah who are dealing with a lot who had like big bad thing happened to them and now sad yeah um or big bad thing that they've done I yeah. feel they've done. Um, <laughs> both of these films, I was telling Kat, are very much like you thought. <laughs> the, whole, the whole plot is like, you you thought this was happening, but this is actually happening. You thought this person was the thing, but it's actually this thing. Um, it's a lot of like, you don't know what's going on. Yeah, and I will say like early 2000s usually doesn't, gives you like ridiculousness that's like not very good and like mm-hmm. these two films are both from the early 2000s and still like held up like, yeah i was scared genuinely multiple times for both of them and it was yeah. like wow okay 2003 2001 like look at them yeah. do you can do it right <laughs> and i even knew like even having watched both of these films before my experience with them was even better like than my previous experience like I mean the first time great even they were like you know I have them as in my memory as being two really amazing films I've always stuck with me as really great horror um very good like uh uh atmospheric horror um you know like it doesn't rely on like 
parkour and jump scares and all these things. It's all about just being in this place and feeling alone and just being um, sad about things. So yeah, <laughs> that's how it is. Yeah. Um, but so we're going to be talking about two films. We're going to be talking about The Others, which I'm sure you've seen, and A Tale of Two Sisters, which if you have not seen, you should. Yeah. So um, I hadn't be- seen before this. So yeah, it was, I, that was correct advice. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, speaking of grief, uh, just shout out to the afterlife to um, one of my best friends ever who passed away. Uh, Tale of Two, si- Two Sisters was a film that she had me watch and it was my introduction to Korean horror. Um, and it was just something that she so admired and appreciated as a um horror film and it it messed me up (laughs) efficiently messed me up and i was very thankful to her so that's why i you know while watching it i was really thinking of her i've been thinking about her a lot recently so as far as like haunted people you know there there's a bit of haunting happening um and sometimes it doesn't look uh scary sometimes it kind of feels like you're just keeping someone in your head in your mind and thinking about them and sharing things with them even when they're not there yeah so um, I'm going to hop in because uh, because I'm talking about two films, it's pretty lengthy and I, <laughs> yeah, I don't want um, to have to, you know, <laughs> take all the time. Yeah. As I said, we are covering two films. So I'll give the synopsis um, from IMDb from both and then kind of go through plot in some of the the theme that we're covering today so the others is from 2001 all those years ago and it is about a woman who lives in her darkened old family house with her two photosensitive children becomes convinced that the home is haunted and is directed and written by alejandro amanbar um and yeah that's pretty it <laughs> thinks her house is haunted and then a tale of two sisters is from 2003 and it is about a family is haunted by the tragedies of deaths within the family and is directed by kim ji woon um so both of them are haunted <laughs> one is where we think our house is haunted we think there's you know invading forces and the other one is very on the nose <laughs> there's points where they yeah. literally look at like in the camera and it's telling you like this is what we're being haunted by um <laughs> that I really like, I really appreciate it. I was like, thank you for telling me that. Um, So as I mentioned, I watched these two films a very long time ago and they really stayed with me as being these like staples of good horror. And even though I watched them previously and despite my terrible memory, I did retain the twist endings. Like I did have most of the information, like especially the others, I knew a lot. Like I knew things that were going to happen in the others. And it um, with the tale of two sisters, I knew like a vague understanding. There was still a bit of twist that I was like, oh, right, that too. Um, yeah. But watching them and even knowing those endings, it, it enhanced the experience for me because then I was able to appreciate and really look at these environments and the pain and all the little clues that the creators were leaving for us. There's like dialogue, there's positioning, there's lighting, there's like the way we linger on certain things where every time it happened, I'd be like, oh, because <laughs> like, oh, right. Ah. Um, and that was just like really exciting. And it really, again, it made me really appreciate the work that they were putting into it. And it's something that's really great for a second viewing um it's good for group viewing it's just amazing so 
let's go through the plots. <laughs> there will be spoilers for these films from the early 2000s, the aughts. So um, I do highly recommend both films. It was hard to find the others, and uh, Tale of Two Sisters is on Shudder, but you have a lot of time to go watch it, so go do that. Um, even for people who might not be super keen on horror, I would say the others is super um, entry-level horror. Where yeah. there's some spooks, but you're still like you it's feel kind of safe. Thriller. Yeah, suspense yeah. maybe. But it, exactly. It's not like horrific really. Yeah. At point. I will say that a Tale of Two Sisters though does have some graphic imagery and it definitely plays into like similar to the J horror crowd of like the <laughs> you know, long haired, creepy uh creature that's like lurking. But it's not like it's not the grudge, like you're not getting like uh, like that craziness. Um yeah. It's a little quicker than that, but it's still uncomfortable. So that might be a level up as far as like horror. Um, And it stays with you forever. And you're just like, (laughs) (laughs) you'll never not. Like I, even before we did this episode, I've always thought about (laughs) that ending. Like it just makes me sad sometimes. Um, So uh, I'll jump in and I'll give a, you know, spoiler warning before I kind of reveal the twist. Because both of them have very uh, big twists that are important but again it could enhance your experience so in the others we follow a very religious and delicate mother grace played by nicole kidman which is actually pretty important because tom cruise was producing it and he was her husband at the time and they were going through their divorce and she actually like quit in the beginning (laughs) because it was too traumatic for her and also like being married to tom cruise is pretty traumatic and her uh divorce was confirmed uh like a week before uh the release yeah. <laughs> especially like a fun it's like fact. a famous picture of her just like leaving the set like I think. being really like, excited yeah. yeah yeah it's like giving uh princess diana um yeah. <laughs> like the best of ways so nicole kidman plays grace and she has her two sickly children and new help um these three new housekeepers are introduced to the family's quiet complicated and isolated ex- existence grace instructs them to close and lock any door they open before opening another so you come in one room you got to lock this door before you go into another which is just a fire hazard first of all um <laughs> there are curtains that cover every window and as she explains her two children have a rare untreated skin disorder that makes them photosensitive um i think they missed an opportunity to make that a little more sinister but they were really just genuinely photosensitive um though the house is enormous and the estate grounds large we only get glimpses of it through the small enclosed dark rooms grace lets us in and grace and her two children are the only inhabitants until um, these uh, housekeepers show up. And her husband has gone off to fight in the war. Um, This is World War II, a war that Grace believes they had no business being in in the first place. (laughs) She definitely has feelings, um, all valid. And one day, all her servants vanish, just up into air, without a word, no notes. They're just gone. And poor Grace is like, oh, no. Um, (laughs) But luckily... These housekeepers show up and are there to help in her very large house. And she's not afraid to ask for help, um, but she still commands it. Like, it's still her house. Her children, Anne and Nicholas, are young and very smart. Yeah. Uh, they are quick to question some of the biblical stories and decisions their mother tells them. At other times, they flat out admit their disbelief at the tall tales in the Bible, saying, you know, I simply do not believe that Noah got all those animals <laughs> onto the ship. Or they're like... I also don't think a dove is a symbol of peace. They are 
anything but peaceful. <laughs> and I was like, you right. Um, hey, birds. Anyway, um, <laughs> Anne relentlessly teases poor Nicholas, painting herself as an unreliable or easily dismissed character. However, when she begins to share her experiences, her tall tales of a ghost boy named Victor and later an entire family of ghosts, including a spooky... Um, you know, clouded eyed woman, uh, older woman, she sticks to her guns despite punishment and the scrutiny of her family. Yeah. Uh, she refuses to apologize for lying when she did not lie. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I will not apologize for something I did not do. Um, Anne is uh, uh, like the best character. <laughs> this whole yeah. thing. She's like steals every scene that she's in. She's so creepy, but also really fascinating. And like, I just really love how she was always so inquisitive. And she she's not afraid to just like look her mom straight in the face and be like, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and yeah, like that's stupid. I would simply lie about being a Christian so they don't murder me. <laughs> And Grace is like, you would deny Christ? She's like, straight up. 100% would. <laughs> like, I would still like him, like, secret. Like, in but... my, like, he knows. Like, he and I, like, we got our own thing going on. He knows what's going on. But these guys, yeah. what does it matter if they know or not? Like, I get to live a little longer. Yeah. Whatever. Like, honestly, like, 100%. <laughs> Team Am, like, the it's whole a time. a relationship that no one else needs to know about. <laughs> Yeah, so. exactly. Um, she was a real one. Uh, soon, Grace begins to believe that the house is haunted. Um, it is more of like her own experiences than just like believing her daughter or listening to her. Um, after a particularly jarring experience in the piano, piano room one night, she is convinced and begins to spiral. <laughs> like just snaps. Like that little very thin thread that was maybe kind of holding her sanity together is just unraveled. It's like, yeah. um, trust no one. And she feels herself unraveling. So she wanders through the unrelenting fog in hopes of making it to town to ask for help um, from a priest to bless the house. Cause she's like, it's haunted. <laughs> the spirits up in here. This is my house. Mm-hmm. She's like, I kept Nazis out of this house. You're not going to bring in ghosts now. Like, (laughs) leave me alone. Um, But while she's out navigating this fog, she stumbles upon her lost and presumed dead husband. He is bewildered and admits rather brokenly to Grace that he bleeds sometimes. Um, He's clearly not all there. And I mean, war will do that to you. Uh, He's very like, uh, like, he's distant. (laughs) and not here yet you know um like his body's here but he's not here yeah so she brings him from trauma (laughs) yeah he's still in there you know like he's still in the midst of whatever he was doing um he's bewildered and uh she brings him home and the children are elated while the servants are weary and after a fight with her mother as she spirals out and begins attacking her children in desperation uh and talks with her father and she tells him what she's been hinting at the whole movie the tale of that night in which their mother had done something unforgivable and truly awful um you know if and is convinced that this woman is a true villain um and grace and her husband have a quiet fight because everything in this movie is quiet yeah. <laughs> everything is whispering in this huge house I, I wonder like i mean the echo must have been crazy but she's just like you weren't here you went off to the war <laughs> and he's like 
I had to do it. Yeah, I know what you did. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, and you're like, okay. And then, you know, they kind of resolve things. It's more of like, we put it to bed and then they make love. And in the morning, he is once again gone, returned to the fog. So now spoilers a little bit for the others of 2001. So you can hit, you know, a few minutes over so I can get into the tale of two sisters before I hop into their spoilers. <laughs> so spoilers for the others. In the end, we learn that the house is indeed haunted. Only it is our protagonists that are the ghosts and poor Victor and his family are the living ones. Grace, in an act of desperation driven mad by isolation and abandonment, killed her two children, suffocating them with pillows before returning to her home to unalive herself with a rifle. And at the beginning of the film, she'd woken up screaming. Um, when telling the truth of the story, she explains that she thought after hearing the children's laughter when she woke up, um, that what she thought was a terrible nightmare, she felt that God was giving her a second chance, yeah. um, this opportunity to do it over. So they went essentially for a week, not knowing that they were in fact dead. Um, they say this because the servants were gone for a week. They haven't heard birds for a week. The fog has been here for a week. And then the servants arrive yeah. and they're like, we did too. <laughs> We're dead. We've been dead. We're here to tell you that this is the afterlife. I'm sorry. You believe all that time, but this is what the afterlife is. And that's just like, they got, they died of tuberculosis. So we all go to the same place, <laughs> regardless yeah. of what you did. There is no like station. <laughs> We're just hanging around. Yeah. Um, all right. Now, in a tale of two sisters, we follow as two sisters return home from a hospital. They return after their mother's death to find their father with a new wife. Very um, Disney or fairy tale of them. Uh, this vicious stepmother slowly drops her kindly facade and begins to torture these sisters. Um, specifically the younger one. So older sister Su Mi is the most vocal of the two, often protecting her younger sister Su Yun, and their father is often absent, and when he is there, quiet and disconnected, broken in his own ways um, yeah. from this. <laughs> you have to like ask yourself, like, what kind of person does this? I will say the there's an American knockoff of this uh, film, and that father's like, whatever. <laughs> that stepmom's also like, whatever. It's like... They did not take into account, like, all the sadness, really, like, to the same extent. Because this father, he is pained. Yeah. Um, many paranormal things occur, revealing this house to be haunted by some ghostly girl. Feeling very J-horror, the long, black-haired specter looks just out of vision. A solitary hand scratching along the floor at night, or a hand creaking a door open, hiding in a cupboard that we can only catch a glimpse of, or standing before us with her hair covering her pained face. Like, she's always there, and then, like, really quickly. Yeah. Um, it's not, like gratuitous. And over time, Sumi begins to truly lose um, and overcome by her father's dismissal of her stepmother's actions. She's losing it. How can such terrible treatment be allowed to happen to her quiet and delicate sister? And also, how could her father have moved on so fast? Yeah. So you have a lot of questions because, like throughout the whole film because you're like, what's going on? There's also weird stuff that happens that doesn't feel like you're like, why would they do that? Um, or why don't they do this? Like, there's so much of that. So 
getting into some spoilers <laughs> of the tale of two sisters i really again i really really highly recommend go watch it on shutter um it is worth your time it's beautiful it's yeah. unsettling the score is phenomenal the acting is really amazing and if you haven't done Korean horror is a great gateway drug <laughs> to your Korean horror. Yeah. And you also should just do like Korean horror is on another level. It made yeah. me really appreciate foreign horror in a way I hadn't really done at that age. Like even with, you know, things like the ring and stuff, it wasn't this. Like, yeah. I couldn't explain. I was like, this is like, what? It's a masterpiece for real. For real. Like, it's it beautiful. was really great. Like on it, I enjoyed every second of it. Even if I was confused. (laughs) Yeah, but I think you're supposed to be confused. You're supposed to be like, what is going on? And then at the end, you're like, wait, is that what? Um, Yeah. (laughs) So, spoilers. Um, As things descend into chaos, Sumi confronts her father. She asks him how he could allow for all of this to occur um, under his roof. Mm -hmm. And he asks simply, what has she done? To which Sumi replies, she is hurting Suyeon. Um, and there's this look of sadness and bewilderment that like crosses his eyes. It's just like, he is tired. He's worn down from his own grief and his own inability to help his daughters or, um, he's like looking at her and she's so desperate and like clearly at the end of her rope and he's like, why? And then he hears that. And in his sorrow, he explains to Sumi that Suyeon is dead. And has been this entire time. Yeah. And as Sumi looks at Suyan, she's screaming in the corner at her own tragic reality. Sumi knows that it is true. Yeah. It like occurs to her that like, wow. Um, and you probably kind of you might have noticed that a lot of the conversations were pretty one-sided. <laughs> so um, the stepmother Yunju finally snaps and looks to attack Sumi after a traumatic cinematic experience where in which we see Yunju dragging a bloodied bag through the house and beating it with a pipe. And Sumi finds this bag and in anguish and terror attempts to open it. Um, she imagines that her sister is in there and that, uh, you know, Yunju, the, the villainous stepmother, has finally lost it and is murdering her sister, even though she's knows she's gone yeah you know it's not you're she's stressed okay uh <laughs> she finds scissors but is confronted by yunju who's then stabbed accidentally with these scissors in her hand it was non-intentional and the two fight it's a bloody mess and in a moment before yunju drops a statue on sumi's head <laughs> she's already suffered a concussion <laughs> she's already knocked out um she says remember what i told you you may come to regret this moment Sometimes you want to forget something, but you can't. It follows you around like a ghost. And when father arrives home, he finds a shaken Yunju in the room. She asks where Sunmi is, and he responds, this needs to stop. <laughs> he, is, he is like, I can't. Like, you can't believe you just said that to me. Um, because uh, we have one very interesting and clever camera trick, and then it is revealed that Yunju this whole time that we've seen her in the film is actually Sumi. And in her grief, she had both hallucinated her dearly departed sister and then also disassociated herself into becoming this woman that she deemed the villain of her story. Um, 
the Yunju, uh, the real Yunju arrives, and upon seeing this real human, Sumi realizes what she's done all this time. And yeah. we get to see the movie all over again, more or less. This like, time with only <laughs> Sumi. Yeah, it's like, here's all these scenes where she was actually sitting there, like, the whole time. Yeah. Then later in the hospital, once more, Yunju asks for forgiveness and says she will, you know, try to check on Sumi from now on. And this act- interaction is stiff and unwell. And you kind of get the sense that, like, they ain't cool. <laughs> like, even yeah. though she wasn't this villainous stepmother, something ain't right here. Um, we get a flashback that reveals what happened all that time ago um, that so severely ruptured Sumi's sanity. And so their father was indeed having an affair with Yunju, who um, would take care of them in the house. She was a part of this, like, family in a way. Yeah. Um, and because of this affair, heartbroken, they're heartbroken. Their mother unalives herself in the in the bureau or like the closet what do they call it it's like an armoire but like not (laughs) a barrow like bureau yeah yeah. so she is in there in her in in suyun's room and unalives herself in there and suyun wakes awake awakens and when she opens the door she finds her mother in there and desperately she pulls on her mother trying to awaken her or revive her before the whole thing falls on top of her um and the whole house hears the fall like they hear something knock over how many times have you heard things knock over in your house but only yunju goes to investigate um there's time like i hear a thing and i'm like you good yeah (laughs) like whoever's out there you good um and I don't hear nothing back. I'm coming up. <laughs> like We're going to investigate. I'm going to ruin. I'm going to come in here. I don't care if you're in the shower. Like, I'm coming in here now. Yeah. Um, but Yunju goes to investigate. And she hears the scratching of Suyun needing help under the barrow. Like, she sees that it had fallen. And she hears this. It, like, shocks her. Um, and then she leaves. Yeah. And she's about to leave, like, fully. And she, at the last minute, we kind of see her consider helping like she goes to turn to maybe do something and she bumps into sumi in the hall and sumi essentially harasses her and says terrible things reasonably um because she just ruined her family and uh is essentially like like look look what you've done (laughs) just like you're you're terrible um and so yunju decides that's enough reason to allow a child to die in this horrific way yep that's enough. Uh, and she says to Sumi, one day you may come to regret this. Um, to which Sumi replies, nothing could be worse than being here with you right now. Um, and you're like, <laughs> what I did you, you knew. Yeah. Um, also, like, no, like, you'll come to regret this. Why? <laughs> like, Sumi, like, what is wrong with Yuju? Anyway, she like... Sumi says that sassy reply because she just thinks there's this like lady trying to steal her dad and she leaves and she never like she leaves not knowing that her sister is dying in the house actively and calling out her name suffocated by her mother's body. Yeah. It is so sad. That's the thing that like I always just remember her scratching and calling out for her sister it like it made me so sad when i first watched it i was like (laughs) that's it for me that's it i was like wow so yunju in the present finds herself alone in the house and she hears a noise upstairs again and she goes to investigate and in the room the same room that she let this child die she's like in there and looking around and she hears a creak 
from the Bureau. And she goes to investigate that. And it is then that the ghost is revealed to actually be real. And that Seon crawls from the closet and kills Yunju. Um, it's not like on screen is like implied, <laughs> but yeah. you're like, she got her justice. So you, you know, the question is like ghosts or mental instability. And this film says, Por que no los dos? Yeah. <laughs> it is both, man. Why not you both? Get, exactly. Like, we could have a real ghost that's here. That's the personification of like the spirit that you wronged as well as a girl whose mental like fragility has split her into these things to try to like work through those issues. Like those yeah. are all completely valid responses. <laughs> so uh, grief and isolation as ghosts. Cause I think that's the biggest theme of these both of these films um yeah. and and it comes up a lot like people are really quick to being like sadness really is the ghost <laughs> yeah. it's like you know people are just like it's okay to be sad and it's okay that you're being haunted like you just gotta accept it so um that quote that um Yinju had said was do you know what's really scary you want to forget something, totally wipe it off your mind, but you never can. It can't go away, you see, and it follows you around like a ghost. Like, straight up tells you. Yeah. <laughs> this is about, like, this how is ghost is just doing this. But the then plot. it's like, <laughs> but also, also, there is a ghost. <laughs> reality of grief. <laughs> yeah. So the reason we've chosen these two films to represent our Haunted People episode is that they share many of the same themes. And like I said before, we covered Haunted People, but it was more focused on individuals who were thought to be possessed by some demonic force. However, people could be haunted by many things. And most oftentimes, it is not the devil behind the specters, but rather our own grief and pain. And it's yeah. a way for us to cope or deal with or make sense of things that are honestly inexplicable. It's yeah. really like no matter how <laughs> much you watch horror movies or you're in the midst of death, it is still when it hits you that close, it is simply inexplicable. And there's nothing you could really do to make it make sense. Like yeah. it's just always like, what? Um, so for Grace and the others, she is haunted by her own isolation. She's so incredibly alone in this big house like that's i think one of the biggest takeaways i had of watching it the second time was i was like this house is huge yeah and there's like five people in it and like you can't even enjoy it. you can't even open it up and breathe and you're just yeah. stuck here the darkness husband, adds to it too yeah it's as if you don't have this big house right you're just in this small hole always her husband straight up abandoned her like i know he went off to work but he didn't have to he volunteered <laughs> okay yeah. like um and she mentions that a lot like she's very resentful for that she has been taken away from her family because she followed him to this big house they got married and they went to this big house on a large estate and she's isolated and she's far away from where she originally is from so she doesn't have relatives that she can confide in and have that community. She has no friends yeah. and she only has her children and she has endured for so long and held out as best as she could. At one point she explains that she has successfully avoided having any Nazis in the house. She was like, no, this is my house. Um, yeah. And her children who are her only source of love and, and connection are disconnected too. They're also sad and traumatized and growing in this twisted way. And they rely on her and also resent her. Yeah. And that takes a toll. It's inevitable, you know? And so long before they died, they were already ghosts yeah. in this house. Like they weren't living. <laughs> they were undead 
walking around these halls. Like what life did these children have that they could not see the light or interact with other children? Yeah. That they had to be locked into rooms and they weren't allowed to move to a different room without permission. And their only like, like entertainment was the Bible, <laughs> which is really traumatic. Um, yeah. And then what life did she have that she was trapped here, overshadowing her children's existence and safety? Like, that was her only task. Yeah. And so um, director Alejandro Amenbar creates a really masterfully dark and haunting film without much conventional horror, like I mentioned, right? It's a suffocating absence of light or presence that has us seeing things in the shadows, making th faces where there are none. But even more impressive are the hints throughout about what has really occurred. Um, so there's like hints. And again, if you're like, you watch it again, you catch them. So, um, we know that they have been dead a week for that is when the staff altogether vanished without any note or reason. And in one scene after an argument Anne begins to hyperventilate in frustration. Yeah. Cause they get this like argument. And so she's like, kids do that when <laughs> they just like breathe crazy and you're like, <laughs> I have to keep you alive. You're doing this crazy thing. So um, Grace urges her to stop and she yells, stop breathing like that. And like, just keeps like, doing that like stop breathing like that stop doing that and she's stress is like amplifying until it simply becomes stop breathing yeah um and that's a nod to the actual death of Anne and her brother by their mother which was suffocation yeah um grace's own headaches she's like always talking about how she has migraines could be a reference to her own death which was a gunshot to the head yeah so those things are like there. Um, watching this film again later, I was able to catch and truly appreciate those moments. Certain pieces of dialogue hit different with the, with the knowledge of what has occurred. So like when Mrs. Mills, um, who's one of the mysterious servants, in this touching moment admits to Grace that she does believe in ghosts. And she explains that sometimes the death of, the death of a loved one can lead people to do the strangest things. Um, She's trying desperately to show her understanding and care for Grace, who in her darkest moment could not stop herself from this gruesome fate. Yeah. So it's more of like, it's not like an excuse, but it's like, I know where you were. Uh -huh. And you like, she's trying to like get her <laughs> to understand what's going on and like also accept it. Like it's yeah. happened and we know how you got here. Yeah. Right. Um. So a Tale of Two Sisters is inspired by a twisted and sad Korean folktale about two sisters, Jangwa and Hongryeon. So uh, in the folktale, there are two girls who lose their mother at a young age, and their father remarries a ghastly woman who seeks to only harm the girls. Um, in this story, um, the new wife is like torturing them all the time. And eventually she gives birth to three sons, which makes her like really important. And um, yes. <laughs> she cares only for her sons. And at one point, the oldest daughter, Jangwa, which her name meant like red rose or something. Um, I feel bad. Because <laughs> that was like the whole thing. It was like the tale of the red rose and the red something. Um, but she is potentially going to get married and her father is like, let's have a wedding. And so she like, he enlists the stepmom to help. And she's <laughs> like, I don't want any of our money to go to this like trash. I don't care about them. All this money should be for my sons. They're perfect. And so <laughs> she, uh, enlists her oldest son to find a dead creature, a dead animal 
and put it in Jangwa's bed, like while she's sleeping. It's this bloody like carcass. And then in the morning, she like wakes up the stepmom and is like uh, to her husband, like, "Oh, I had this nightmare. I think something's wrong with Jangwa. We have to go check her out." So they run upstairs and they like rip off her covers and they see this bloodied mess there. And the stepmom's like, "Oh my gosh, she had a miscarriage. So she's been a bad girl." sleeping around to the point where she was pregnant and she lost it. So the gods are mad too. Uh, and she essentially, um, is, uh, killed for that. For oh being, my goodness. <laughs> for being, you know, unchaste. Um, her younger sister, um, is saddened and refuses to believe that that's what happened to her sister and eventually unalives herself by going into the water that her sister had died in and um, drowning. So in the story, while um, the older brother is the one who actually kills Jangwa in the water, he is attacked by a tiger and loses like limbs. Like he's still alive, but now he's like suffered severely. Um, And so like, that's like this, reaction that he has but um every time a mayor comes to the town to visit they wind up dead (laughs) they're dead they're murdered by you know and the tale is that there's these girls murdering them so as time goes on this new mayor comes he's young and he knows about the tale but he comes anyway and in the night the girls show up and um he asks them like what can we do like why are you haunting this and they simply say like they want their their uh, name to be uh, what what's the word cleared? They want to yeah. they want people to know that they weren't unchaste and that she was a good girl. And so he finds the he goes to investigate and he finds the uh, the she <laughs> stepmom had like bringing around town this uh, you know miscarriage. So he goes and he investigates. It turns out it's a rat, um, not a baby. And so <laughs> uh, the mom and the sons are arrested and I think put on death row or something, whatever death row of the Joseon era would have been, which is probably just straight up death. Um, and the father uh, is like really sad, <laughs> but yeah. he eventually remarries and his daughters visit him in a dream and are like, we're all good now and we're ready to come back and be loved <laughs> by you. And so his new wife gives birth to twins, which he names the same names of his two daughters. And that's them. Okay. That's the end of that. So Interesting. That uh, so it's a very horrible fairy tale-esque things that have occurred. Um, and they're like, you know, they're both dead, but then they're reborn as twins, and that's justice. And uh, the film uh-huh. only really takes skeletal pieces of the folktale and instead makes a film completely on its own. Um, but they're like, you know, evil stepmother. There's a lot of evil stepmother. Yeah, there's a dead um, animal in the bed. Mom. Uh, is it yeah it's the bird it wasn't just, like for that reason yeah. but like it was a part that's of it. super true there's a few things where i was like when i was reading the story i was like oh yeah um that like i was like oh okay it's kind of like this kind of like that um so it's like it definitely has some uh inspirations right yeah uh, it's just not full out that so in this film i truly admire the cinematography and the sound design um 
for the others, the absence of birdsong and the continual darkness really added to the fear. Agreed. And for A Tale of Two Sisters, we get an equally foggy and dreamlike world where the haunts linger on the edges of the screen. And I love a good re-reveal of a film where um, we get to see moments again, but this time like as it truly happened. Love yeah. those. Um, throughout the film, if you know the twist, you pick up on how only the stepmother refers to both of the girls. She yeah. only says the girls. And um, you also notice that the father's uh, heart breaks whenever Sumi mentions Suyeon. Um, even when she's just like kind of mentioning things about her, he like looks really pained about it. Yeah. Um, he also like never... He never looks at the stepmother. It's a whole thing. Um, when he desperately reminds Sumi uh, that they had agreed to not talk about the dresser, it is him hoping to forget about this tragedy of his own family. Um, he, he at one point um, he inquires, like he comes out and he inquires as to why she's outside alone and in the cold. Uh, and you wonder why he didn't say, why are you two out here? Yeah. <laughs> he just says you, which you can kind of like infer maybe means both of them. But we immediately, as soon as he comes into the frame, the sister's no longer there. Yeah. Like it was two of them. It was a two shot. And then when he shows up, the two shot is now the father and her. And she like never even looks at Suyin. She's not like, hey, what do you think about this? She's the mouthpiece yeah. for them. So it's like you start to pick up on those things if you know. Yeah. When Yunju manic at dinner, <laughs> so the, the stepmom is manic at this family dinner, begins to talk about past events with the visiting family members, urging them to remember these moments. You wonder why Yunjun has these memories at all because she's this new stepmother why would she have these stories to tell like why would she be like remember all that time ago and we did this thing like why would they have done things with her um and you may even wonder why it is yunju who is given medication by the father every time <laughs> like like every single time it's yunju and you're like what's wrong with her she wasn't the one who came from the hospital um yeah. why yunju sleeps in a different room from the father despite being the stepmother that like ruined their marriage. Right. And why their relationship is so completely loveless and disconnected to the point where he never acknowledges her presence. Yeah. Um, and also like, why does Suyeon's screams go unheard every time? Like she's yeah. always being tortured and no one hears it. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, what? Um, and like in the others, there are also moments of dialogue that strike you directly in the heart if you already know the twist. So um, in one scene, Suyeon has been dragged by Yunju to the closet, the one of nightmares and pain and trauma from her their mother dying. Like she's literally like, oh, you're sad that your mom died? <laughs> and you're like taking it like, out on yeah. me, the stepmother who ruined your family's like life. Um, I'm going to put you in this closet that's really traumatizing. Like we have established that th something is up with this dresser yeah. that we ain't talking about. Um, but uh, she traps her in there and her she's screaming and eventually her voice is strained by the terror of being trapped and the, smother, uh, the stepmother uh, demands an apology to which Suyan responds with a sorry <laughs> she's like really sad and broken about it um but yunju didn't really want an apology she wants to terrorize her so she keeps her in there and in the morning sumi wakes up and after hearing those telltale scratches investigates her sister's room she finds her in the closet and holds her tight and she whispers through tears i am so sorry suyun i didn't hear you 
and I won't let this happen again. And when you know that this is all Sue Me living through her own guilt and pain, it hurts all the more, knowing that she wishes she'd heard it that first time and that she could have saved her sister. Like, this yeah. is her acting that out. Like, at this time, she heard and she opened the door, right? So for both of these films, the horror is simply not knowing the extent to which our own minds will mend and twist reality so that we may in some form survive. It tries to make sense of or carpet compartmentalize the trauma to the point where we really don't know what's real and we can't trust ourselves anymore. And for Grace and her children, it was this task to forget and continue forward as they always had. They're given a second chance at life in limbo. For Sumi, she gets to play in an alternate history where she knew of the pain her sister endured and did all that she could to save her. In this new reality, there's a clear villain and she is the only one who can stop it. Mm -hmm. She is vindicated at the end when the vengeful spirit of her sister finally undoes that villain. And finally, she is given some closure. Um, Even simply an acknowledgement that she was right in her suspicions that Yuju was evil... (laughs) Because she is. (laughs) She left that girl. Like, she is evil. Like, I don't even care if she wasn't there the whole time. She was straight up evil. And like the folktale that inspired the film, the victory came from acknowledging her innocence, ultimately releasing her from that guilt. And as Coco Chanel said, guilt is perhaps the most painful companion of death. Um, Mm -hmm. Thank you to Ghouls Magazine for highlighting that for me. Um, (laughs) And that is, (laughs) that's me. Yeah. And this film was like, I loved both films, obviously. The others, mm-hmm. like, when I was a small child, messed me up in that, like, one, it was the first time ever in life in which I was like, oh, I'm Jewish. And to that, other people might think that I'm going to go a different place. Mm-hmm. That is the first time in my child life I realized wow. that because they were talking about yeah. limbo and stuff. And I was like, I wasn't baptized will I go to limbo? (laughs) And then I like freaked out hardcore for like a while over that. And then like the actual story was really stressful too. Cause like, but also like this new film, it's not new, it's from 2003. Yeah. New to me. It's just like a masterpiece. for Mm -hmm. Like it, it encompasses like what grief is, how you blame yourself, how you have to honestly villainize others. Even like they did something wrong. Yes. She like, Yunju was evil yes like in that mm-hmm. she let that kid die even for though, no good reason for no good reason and like maybe she didn't fully grasp that because she was in shock but she has to live with that guilt and suffer because of it mm-hmm. because ultimately at the end of the day that's what happened um but that you have like it's like a perfect analysis of what the brain tries to do to cope mm-hmm. um You like replay it in your head and you try to do it differently. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's interesting because there's like kind of a diff, there's like a little bit of both because in both movies we have the dealing with suicide. Mm -hmm. um, And we also have dealing with unexpected loss. That is not that like whether it's murder or accidental or Mm -hmm. what have you, like it is unexpected and the, there's like a big combination that I think happens there. Cause like, if we're thinking about Sumi, she lost both her mom and her sister in the same day from two very mm-hmm. different causes and her family, like straight yeah. up. Cause her dad was already leaving. Yeah. So like, it's like a big 
big thing to have to process all at once for a developing brain first off but also like for any brain an adult brain even too Mm -hmm. uh that is something that like the mind is going to have a very hard time grasping and i'm going to get into that in my section so welcome friends um we're talking about super happy stuff you know grief and sadness and (laughs) loving it it's great it's gonna gonna be super light we're gonna get into this really happy fun time of talking about grief and our experiences with loss and death as we do on the ghouls you know every once in a while we get a real heavy topic (laughs) and we're gonna do our best uh so yeah as the movies did an amazing job showcasing dealing with the death of a loved one uh both through unexpected event suicide any kind of death, honestly, whereas unexpected is a, or expected even, just death in general, is very traumatic. It's a traumatic experience that can hit people in a unique way that don't always align with what is like traditionally viewed as the stages of grief and other recorded theories, because Mm -hmm. just as trauma is very unique to a person, so is loss, grief, and dealing with someone you love being gone. Um, Mm -hmm. The experience can be either connecting in that like you gather with people you care about and like establish stronger bonds through like the loss of this person Mm -hmm. in your shared grief, or it can be extremely isolating. And it all kind of depends on how you process um, what is your healing version. Uh, Like Mm -hmm. what, how do you process that grief and how do you process trauma? So it's, it's very unique to the person. And I actually found out that Uh, in an article called The Grieving Brain, How Your Mind Deals with a Loved One's Death and How to Heal by A. Polowski, that um, apparently the five stages of grief, uh, Mm -hmm. denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance are now considered old and outdated uh, as the model because not all people go through them or at least not in that order. Um, Mm -hmm. Apparently. Wow. Not everyone is the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not everyone experiences everything the same way. Um, in fact, uh, a minority of people, about 10%, uh, experience complicated or prolonged grief where severe symptoms last for at least six months and interfere with daily life. But essentially, there is no time limit on grief. Uh, and because it's so unique to the person, it can just be an extremely life transforming event mm-hmm. that can have long lasting implications on a person. So there's a multifaceted way that this can develop. It can either be, uh, you know, you can, you've experienced a more traditional stage based grief, or you're experiencing like life altering forever changed Mm-hmm. existence in which like especially in a capitalistic society that really does not allow the world to stop mm-hmm. to process and heal from these situations you're left in situations where you might not be able to care for yourself or those around you because you're in the state of just like grief and healing and also just like this kind of static Mm-hmm. sadness that yeah. is going to exist for a prolonged period of time and you can um, you kind of become a different person i think it's from the fault in our stars john green where it said like there's a person you existed before and then who you become after that yeah it's there's a there's a lot of really great quotes honestly that exist around grief because it is something that like lots of 
people experience. I think there's another one. I don't know if it's from the same film, but it's like you don't get over grief. Mm-hmm. It doesn't get smaller. Um, like mm-hmm. if it were in a jar, uh, it doesn't, the grief itself doesn't get smaller. The jar just grows around it. Like you learn oh. to kind of carry yeah. it as you develop an age. It doesn't feel so big. It doesn't feel as big, but it's still the, it's same, the same. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And it can come up at like That's literally really any time. Um, it does, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and in that same article, there's a grief expert and neuroscientist, Mary Frances O'Connor, that likened uh, the processing of grief uh, is this like kind of panic pop up in the brain similar to like if a parent were to lose track of their child in the mall where Mm -hmm. you're like, I need to find that person. You know what I Mm -hmm. mean? Um, And that can be activated by a lot of different things. And this all kind of will tie back. I'll get into like how that Mm -hmm. processes people being ghosts around you. Um, Seeing things that aren't there, thinking you're going to find that person again, even though cognitively, you know, they're gone. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a phantom limb. Exactly. Uh, it's your brain has been programmed to expect that person to come back to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's going to take a really long time for your brain, like scientifically to process and deal with that. So you messing me up right now. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm going to get real sad. Um, <laughs> Everyone. I'm sorry. You're getting sad too. Yeah. So essentially, just because you know cognitively that that person has died, it doesn't mean that those pop-ups won't happen for a long time as your brain learns this is like a whole new world. This is a whole new you. This is something you're going to be dealing with for the rest of Mm -hmm. your life. Uh, Part of having a bonded relationship is wanting to seek out the person when they're away. And that becomes just a background of everyday life. So that's very much the reason why I know I can speak from my own experience, like in the loss of my grandpa and also my stepdad, there were moments where like, I'd be really excited about something. I want to like tell him mm-hmm. and you like reach for the phone, you know, yeah. even I though just you did that. absolutely know that there's not a person mm-hmm. on the other end of that phone. Um, and like, I know specifically from my own experience, like in dealing with unexpected loss that when you maybe haven't seen that person for a while and even if you're kind of like the unexpectedness of it makes it even harder to grasp after the fact because you kind Mm -hmm. of do expect at some point or you hope at some point like you'll wake up and you'll be like that was a dream that Mm -hmm. was not real I'm gonna wake up tomorrow and they're still gonna be here Um, yeah but you got used to them not being there so then you like you just the difference isn't there. It's not as apparent. Mm-hmm. And one thing that the grief person, neuroscientist said uh, is that these pop-ups kind of like continue to happen as you go through just life, depending mm-hmm. on like what the environment is. So like, for example, if every single day you texted someone or kissed them goodbye or like le- mm-hmm. they left for work and they come back um, your brain is just like trained to associate both like times of day, um, smells, sights, things that like you had done with that person. It kind of activates that grief as Mm -hmm. if it was, cause it is, it's always there, 
but it brings it back to the surface in a way that's usually unexpected. So you think like, yeah. it's been years. Why am I crying in a CVS? Yeah. <laughs> Cause I heard Cause you saw something yeah. on the wall. Yeah, exactly. Or you're like, you smelled something that smelled like oh, that. Yeah. And you're just like, I am crying as if this just happened. And that makes mm-hmm. no sense because it's been like five years or 10 years. And you're like, what the heck? I should be more okay, but that's not mm-hmm. how the brain works. The brain mm-hmm. says that song or that smell or even that color activates mm-hmm. within the brain that feeling, that feeling that's in the jar. And maybe it was at the bottom of the jar for a while, and now it's at the top of the jar, as if that happened mm-hmm. literally yesterday. And yeah. something that they recommend, like in everything that I read, was that you kind of have to give yourself grace in those moments and that like mm-hmm. there's going to be times where you kind of just got to let yourself feel that when mm-hmm. it's not a danger to you or others <laughs> like yeah. sometimes you can't help when you're not it. always doing that. yeah you can't do it all the time but there are moments where like it's okay to collapse on your kitchen floor and ball <laughs> and mm-hmm. there's times where you gotta take your kids to school <laughs> um that's mm-hmm. like the example that they use in the article and you kind of have to balance that to survive, especially in a world that does not stop, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Um, So I also found an article that kind of ties into like the idea of the brain coping with something very unexpected uh, and how that can create this kind of disconnect with reality, specifically revolving around like the idea that you're seeing a ghost, Um, you're Mm -hmm. seeing the person in a crowd, you're seeing you think you see someone and you run up to them and they turn around and it's not them. I was literally watching Degrassi the other day and spoilers for Degrassi from a million years ago, but Craig lost his dad and he like won an award and he thought he saw his dad in the crowd and he runs up and he's like, dad, I won. And he turns and it's not his dad. It's just like a teacher. And like that grief hits him square in the face and he absolutely loses it at this dance. So like Mm -hmm. it kind of, does happen where it's actually fairly common where when you lose someone your brain is searching for them cognitively they're searching they're looking for clues and your way of understanding that loss is that sometimes you'll pull at things that don't actually connect it's kind of like that video game theory i think we've talked about in an episode where like sometimes you find patterns that aren't there yeah, because that's your brain's way of coping with something that sense. is unexplainable, uh, inexplicable, mm-hmm. as you said before, game. Um, and it's a grief response. It's essentially your brain's way of piecing things together to make sense of the world. Um, and there are apparently stages of grief uh, that it got a little bit more complex in an article called Loss, Ghosts, and the Stages of Grief part two by Mark Gorkin. I'll also talk about part one down the line by on mentalhelp.net. But essentially they go through a longer list. So mm-hmm. of the stages of possible grief. And as I said before, like these do not apply to everything uh, or everyone, but it's something that you might, ex- when you're experiencing grief, it's perfectly normal for you to experience these stages of sorts Mm -hmm. Uh, and they give seven instead of the traditional five um so they list one as shock and denial like this is not possible or it cannot happen um basically it's your brain kind of trying to deny 
the exist like the trauma that is taking place um, yeah it just seems so unreal yeah to what you know to be true and yeah it's like usually immediately afterwards settles when that'll take place but sometimes it'll and it'll come up in different ways so there's ways where you're like it's not real so I'm not going to feel anything yet it's kind of like you're in shock you're like this is not something I can deal with right now so I'm going to have to deal with it later um, or it's just not real I'm going to wake up in a few days or things will be different um there's number two, fear, panic, and shame. Um, the, oh God, what do I do now? What will they think now? That is also associated with like big moments. So like graduations or like things mm -hmm. that you like expect a person to be at and they're not. Yeah. Those days that are supposed to be very happy can actually be very hard and like activating for those emotions mm -hmm. because it's very much like, who am I now? that that person doesn't exist and that yeah. was me my entire early 20s after my grandpa yeah died. um I was like when I don't need to exist <laughs> throw it away the quicker I go the quicker I can be where they are and that sounds nice um yeah so yeah it's like what do I do now because if that person was your everything yeah what's left what's left um so that's kind of like where depression and those kinds of things can really kick in or even just like long stage dissociation, which is mm -hmm. kind of like what we see the dad and the others experience as well as the dad in a tale of two sisters. Um, he's yeah. just not fully present because he doesn't know That's what to do. Feeling. Yeah. He there's what are, <laughs> what can I yeah. do in this new reality? And then you also have shame and like guilt that ties into that. Um, mm -hmm. The next stage is rage or helplessness. So they kind of put in quotes like, how dare they? Like, so if it's unexpected loss, you could be mad at them for not being here anymore. Um, mm -hmm. Or, oh no, how could they? Just feeling like abandoned or betrayed by what happened. Mm -hmm. either by Which is what the mom did and the others. Mm -hmm. She felt abandoned. Yeah. Like you just kind of feel like, how could they leave me here? Especially if mm -hmm. like that person is your person and the other, it was yeah. her husband. Like that yeah. was her partner and her only person, her really. only person. And he left and died. And there's left this alone. rage that kind of comes with that. Or just like feeling like there's nothing you can do to fix it or fix your situation. Um, mm -hmm. So it can turn into like this rage inward, uh, inward depression or self condemnation. Uh, it's also like, crawling into escapism or other kind of like black hole energy things. So like mm -hmm. kind of where the mom and the others was, where she was just in darkness mm -hmm. in this secondary stage of being. Yeah. And she um, was like performing normalcy. Exactly. And there's also lots of people who feel like they have to be okay. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So they'll pretend everything's fine, even if it's not, even if they like believe it to be true for a period but essentially mm -hmm. it always catches up to you, unfortunately. Yeah. She had to be normal for them, her kids. Yeah. Um, so four is guilt and ambivalence. Uh, the damned if you do, damned if you don't, or making a pact with the spiritual. This is kind of like you feeling either guilt or shame, but also like, I guess this is what people would classify mm -hmm. as bargaining. Mm -hmm. Um you 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 want it to be different you're looking for clues you're looking for something to like free you from this reality 
Um, whether that's spirituality and a higher power, whether that's embracing the fact that they're not gone and they are now a ghost and they follow you around, Mm -hmm. uh, as your best, like, you know, like the sisters, like she's literally seeing, uh, Suyun like next to her, um, even though she's not actually there. Um, or you'll declare, uh, born again, allegiance. Like it is the only thing that can get you through this is like God you may really lean into that. Yeah. Um, I've seen that. Yeah. Same. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Number five is focus anger and letting go or like trying to find a reason to continue. Um, Mm -hmm. So that can go, they say turning a lemon into lemonade or freedom is just another word. I don't really know. Um, It seems. I think the lemonade is fun because the Lemonade album by Beyonce is supposed to be the stages of grief. Oh, interesting. I mm-hmm. actually funny. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So it's essentially like maybe they're in a better place. Uh, they did this so that I could keep going. Like, I know that's something I did a lot with my grandpa. It was that like he sacrificed, like his sacrifices in life were so that I could still be here. Um, mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. that was one of the ways that like I coped with that. I was like, he would be yeah. mad as heck if I just died now after all yeah. of that, you know, all that stuff. And I was just like, I'm just going to give up. He would be pissed. Yeah. He'd be like, like, why they was don't I want sad that all that you. time for you to just die now? And it's like, fair. Touche. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, trying to like find hope in this new reality, um, turning lemons into lemonade, uh, trying to like refocus yourself into the world and accepting in a sense that like, it's going to be different now. Um, Number six is exploration and new identity uh, that you're kind of like deciding that you just have to keep going. Um, And you may make like kind of more drastic decisions in this just to like kind of get yourself out of the space. Um, Essentially you just have to, cope mm-hmm. you do it afraid yeah do it afraid um you kind of just accept that you're gonna have to still be here i guess and that that's gonna be whatever it's gonna be uh, as well number seven is acceptance of the glass is half empty half full um essentially it's this feeling that it's what it is Mm-hmm. it's your rebirth you gotta find a new reason to be here you gotta find a new way to be and it's also like you may even struggle at that point where you are accepting it but you're also like it's been this long I need to be a human mm-hmm. again um yeah. and that sometimes will force people out of these stages before they're ready, but also will sometimes be the thing that like activates and with them a sense of urgency that they need to start taking like decisive action to existing in this world. Um, And essentially there's moments where like sorrow is very different than just like being a crybaby. Like it's different, Mm -hmm, you know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like it's different than just like, I feel sorry for myself kind of thing. It is, deep and impactful loss and like sadness that is not something that's going to go away right away. So you got to give yourself grace. You got to accept the Mm -hmm. fact that like you got to just heal. You got to feel it. You got to feel it. You got to cry when you need to cry and you need to stand up and you need to stand up and you're going to figure that out 
as you go. Um, it's like inside outside. You, got, you can feel your feels. Yeah. Um, so there was another article by the same person. I think this is six. So there's a bunch of parts to this. It's by Mark Gorgon on mentalhelp.net. And he writes a lot about loss. Um, but essentially, there is this connection between loss and grief and the capacity for viewing grief ghosts or like the resurrection or psychic rejuvenation of a person you've lost, uh, whether or not that's writing in a journal that you're writing to them, whether it's mm -hmm. texting their old number, whether mm -hmm. it's, uh, I don't know, like something that like I have a lot is that I'll, have dreams that like seem mm -hmm. very uncomfortably real but also very nice because the person mm -hmm. is there and you're like talking to them as if they're still here i straight up just talk to them yeah you can do <laughs> you can do that too so yeah it's kind of like you kind of make them still be here because you need that sometimes mm -hmm. um and honestly that is even if it's not physically them you know them existing in your mind, even if it is as a ghost, um, is essentially a way to keep them alive in a sense. Yeah. Um, it's not Through necessarily you. a bad thing as long as it's not to the point where it's like mentally deteriorating or causing you harm, essentially. Mm -hmm. So essentially we see how it does cause harm within Sumi um, in that she is she hurts herself. She hurts herself. And that that is like, that is a part where the ghost can be too much. That's where it's, mm -hmm. it's hurting you where it's wonderful that you're trying to keep them alive, but in your trying to rationalize the situation, you're harming yourself and possibly the people around you. Uh, but most importantly yourself, but it's essentially, there's a way that you're dealing with all this stuff and whether or not you're seeing them sometimes or talking to them sometimes, like if anything, that's like their own little beautiful way of like you keeping them alive and it's your personal experience. So as long as you're not hurting yourself or like your kids or like the people in your immediate circle in a very damaging and lifelong way, like feel your feelings, mm -hmm. talk to them if you need to, whatever you need to do to be okay, to keep their memory alive is what you need to do and other people's mm -hmm. opinions don't really matter in that regard if it's not harming you or anyone around you like physically or like severely mentally or otherwise um so yeah it's essentially you just gotta feel your feels that's my recommendation and that's kind of where i'm at with it and that if you see people or you talk to them kind of like that's actually healthy because then you're not keeping that inside. And you keep them like you keep them around. So like you're kind of feeding that piece of you that's looking for them. Because mm -hmm. it's kind of like acknowledging like they're not here while still like providing that closure of, well, if you were here, I'd tell you these things. Mm -hmm. So why don't I tell you these things as if you were here? Like, and, and yeah. you probably don't like not seeing them there. Um but your mind's going to do it anyway. So you mm -hmm. might as well. It's a lot of people as they grow up are actively used to denying their own needs, like mm -hmm. in general, like especially yeah. when you've been raised in traumatic situations or even are dealing with trauma um, that you're like, 
your brain is sending signals and some people are trained to like ignore those signals. And this is an instance where you really need to, your brain's going to send them anyway. So mm-hmm. you might as well give it what it wants. Cause like, that's going to keep you okay. More yeah. than <laughs> just burying it until like, it's a very important day that's supposed to be nice. And you're like, really viscerally upset and the person like people around you don't understand uh and I mean you're entitled to that too but you know you need to feed the thoughts sometimes Mm -hmm. gotta meet your needs yeah do it heal your inner child you know yourself better than anyone um so listen to yourself listen Mm -hmm. to your feelings um yeah. Thank you, Kat. That was great. That was really, you know, you had me in my feels. Um, <laughs> and I've been feeling it pretty, pretty yeah. strongly recently. So, um, yeah, I hope that, you know, it does give some uh, ease to your mind if you have also experienced grief and maybe it gives some context to the things you experienced. And it's OK to know that, like, your experience is different from other people's and the way that you cope or communicate or not communicate like those things are all parts of you and how you're dealing with things and so hopefully you manage them better than the protagonist in our films um yeah but i do highly recommend them if you want to you know think about uh grief in such a way and they do it's very beautifully and well done like it definitely comes from a place of care both of them Mm -hmm. there's no like you know they're not putting it on display and being ridiculous yeah. about it it's very much like they're this not is judgmental really films yeah yeah and this is a hard thing yeah and i would say honestly a tale of two sisters like it could have gone a different way i've <laughs> like, seen it go <laughs> it, it could have been like significantly more disrespectful to what happened and like worse and really stressful in a different way and it wasn't it was like Mm -hmm. very respectful to both sumi and like the reality of what happened like they didn't demonize her and i feel like many times when dealing with mental health in general within horror especially when it's associated with like Mm -hmm. things like what she was going through that it's not always and no point where you're like she's a monster she's the problem you're like poor hug her poor child just like help her like someone needs to do something because like she's just hurt Mm -hmm. and the dad is so much like feeling that like he is like she clearly needs help and I am not the one equipped to do that like I am also hurt Mm -hmm. and working through things I'm not the person to do that and he's dealing with his own like guilt and shame like yeah the reality is that his choices and actions whether they intended or not resulted in the deaths of two people who he either at one point loved for the mom and his and actively loved for the daughter so Mm -hmm. and I mean like you have children together like that doesn't just go away like yeah I'm sure still care yeah that's Yeah. yeah people are complex man yeah and so I think like yeah, that's that's our haunted people episode because I I'm really you know I'm really happy with how it came out because I really did want to focus on like what haunts us like mm-hmm. in reality and I think this is the best way to explore it. and these films are just such good examples of it like it, this episode wrote itself honestly it's yeah. just like let's talk about like it's so obvious and in such like 
a nice and attainable way as opposed to like being in your face or like feeling boring because it's like here's the answer you know yeah um yeah and like in contrast to the exorcism films we're like those are usually done in a way that's kind of disrespectful to the mental health and like what's happening but it's also just like a very different kind of haunting because it's like demonic or like supernatural in a way that like has nothing really to do with grief or loss and yeah more often than not like actual the feeling of a ghost is from grief and loss not some demonic creepy supernatural time and like not that those films aren't sometimes fun but Mm -hmm. like it's yeah the real version (laughs) the real Mm -hmm. scary is this version uh, (laughs) yeah more often well i mean it's like it's like some of those j-horror films like the grudge where it's very clear like human emotions are heavy and Mm -hmm. they sink into everyone like I think like we kind of just think of them as this intangible thing and to some degree they are but I think at some point sometimes it lingers it sticks it like it it, energy exudes from us and it now exists in this space and it infects it and that's why we have haunted houses or sometimes people experience or see things that other people have done or we think you know these are religious experiences or traumatic like it is because people feel and they feel so strongly and it just can't be contained in a human body and i think that's like really um beautifully done in this film especially like these films and you know people try to throw out the whole elevated horror thing now and you're just like no <laughs> you're just like we're like were you watching these because they, yeah. like they've been doing For early it. 2000s films i lovely in a lovely way was not offended at any yeah. point really yeah. maybe like Which was once so nice. but very vaguely in the others just because yeah. she originally she was talking about the um yeah the uh non-verbal person mm-hmm. and kept harassing about her yeah like if anything that was like I, the thing that didn't age well but like everything else that i watched for both of them was like wow this mm-hmm. aged fantastically and that rarely happens for early 2000s media uh it was saying something back then and that's cool yeah yeah i loved it i love both of them again highly recommend 10 out of 10 definitely ghoul's favorites list um tune in next week where we are talking about haunted attractions uh this one should be fun and also really dramatic and i might kind of slink into cat section a little bit (laughs) because i've been going down down a spiral myself because i'm like what yeah um so I hope you're enjoying October. We're so in the midst of spooky season. Um, hope you're enjoying it. Let us know what your favorite haunted people films are. Um, what are they haunted by and what is going on with them? And remember to like and subscribe. Give us some love in our favorite month and during our six-year anniversary of existence. And don't get married. Delete your kids. That's it. That's all I'm saying because it's really sad about the children. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs>